This week, like every week, anti-Semitism has captured media headlines. Death to the Jews, chants heard at Berlin rally. Anti-Semitic acts at 40-year high in the U.S. has more than doubled. Portland neo-Nazi rally reflects rising anti-Israeli flag burned, fireworks, rocks thrown at fans at basketball game in Greece. These modern iterations of anti-Semitism are, of course, of concern to Israel's National Holocaust Memorial Museum, Yad Vashem. But it was yet another headline this week that caused Yad Vashem head Dani Dayan to speak out. Polish propaganda. Critics assailed deal to resume Israeli youth trips to Poland. As a guardian against the distortion of Holocaust memory, in the past year, the Buenos Aires-born Diane, who is a former head of the settler movement and a past consul general of New York, Diane has spoken up in several other cases, such as when Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban made comments this summer that evoked Nazi ideology. And Diane says he sees results. Here you have a scoop uh, 48 hours after I criticized the Mr. Orban, for his statement, I had a personal letter from President Orban in my desk explaining. This week, days before Israel marks Yom HaShoah, the National Holocaust Memorial Day, I, Amanda Borshel Dan, ask Yad Vashem head Dani Dayan, what matters now? Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Danny, thank you so much for letting me join you in your Jerusalem Yad Vashem office. It's raining outside. It's a beautiful winter day in spring. And I ask you, after a week in which we've heard anti-Semitic chants in Berlin, we saw a hugely anti-Semitic and very anti-Israel game in Greece. We have a new deal, perhaps, with Poland for school trips in this action-packed week. What matters now? Well, first of all, that uh, we are... uh approaching Yom HaShoah, uh, and that gives a context uh, to all those things that you just mentioned. And uh, this year Yom HaShoah is uh, uh, the, the theme of, the annual theme of uh, Shoah Remembrance uh, is uh, 80 years uh, since the uh, revolt in the Warsaw Ghetto and the Jewish uh, heroism during the Shoah. And uh, I cannot fail to remember every single time I think about it, that even in the depths of the Warsaw Ghetto, 
there were two Jewish underground organizations. Uh, one, let's call it uh, uh, left wing, uh, led by Mordechai Anilevich. The other, let's call it right wing, uh, led by Pavel Frankel. And even in the ghetto, they weren't able because of their ideological or alleged ideological differences to unite forces. And this is a lesson very relevant to these days when Israel is confronting anti-Semitism, but also quite mighty um, adversaries, enemies in its boundaries and even beyond. And uh, there is a, a very worrying wedge in the Israeli society. So you're saying to Israelis to take note of the wedge that was in the Warsaw Ghetto, and do you think that things would have happened differently had the Jewish forces been aligned? No, of course not. The Warsaw Ghetto uprising was a, a way to, to die honorably. Uh, but uh, the situation, of course, now is completely different. I'm not uh, making any comparison of the circumstances in the ghetto to the, con to the circumstances in independent, uh, sovereign, uh, um, regional power, Israel. But uh, the lesson is the same. It's a lesson, obviously, that we've heard since biblical times uh, over and over and over. And do you see you, of course, were in politics and now you're in a non-partisan uh, institution. But do you see that this lesson will ever be learned? I hope so. Uh, we, we should educate. Uh, we should uh, tell the stories that are relevant, uh, even from the dark days of the Shoah. Again, without comparing uh, the situation of the Jewish people then to the situation of the Jewish people now, which are completely different. But in this respect, uh, I think it's, uh, it's equivalent. As I just said, you're the head of a nonpartisan, non-political organization. And yet throughout the past year and some since we last spoke, we spoke uh, last year before International Holocaust Remembrance Day, you have come out with some very strong statements, which are not politically aligned, but are very forceful in the name of the state of Israel. One example, I would say, is, of course, what happened this past week in terms of the Poland school trips in which Yad Vashem, you, I assume, uh, signed off on this or said it yourself, came out very forcefully against this new draft agreement. No, I want to be more, much more accurate, much more nuanced with that, what you just said. The agreement has an annex. Uh, the annex is a list of recommended sites. I understand that those are recommended by the Polish side, uh, that uh, Israeli students uh, uh, should visit at least one of them. Uh, in the list, in that annex, there are indeed a few problematic institutions uh, that shouldn't be there. But on the practical side, it makes no difference. Uh, no Israeli student, I foresee, will visit those places. And in fact, if we are talking, uh, again, uh, realpolitik, the missions, the trips that take, took place before the COVID uh, pandemic, will be exactly the same as those that we will take now. So I would say in the, in the formal, in the declarative aspect, uh, yes, we see a problem. Um, in the practical uh, uh, side of the things, uh, we don't see a real issue. And if you are, we are posed with the dilemma, what is preferable to, to have those trips with that uh, problematic declaration or not, I think it's a good thing we're going to have those trips. 
you think exposing Israeli teens to the trauma of the Holocaust on the sites of the Holocaust is a good thing? I, I wonder as a mother if it's a good thing. Well, you know, when you use the word trauma, uh, you imply that they, they will come back traumatized. I don't think so. I think that if the trips are carried in a, with, with the proper preparation, as we, at least in Yad Vashem, uh, do with the trips that we send, uh, even of youngsters, of, of, of high school students, uh, with the proper preparation, with the proper context, with the proper guiding on, on site, uh, those are not traumatizing by highly educating trips. And right now we're, of course, in a situation in which many, many Holocaust survivors are leaving us in a rapid pace. And do you feel like this trip will take, will fill the vacuum of that first person testimony? Well, you know, we are uh, really in a watershed moment in Holocaust remembrance. Uh, we are indeed, as you said, approaching uh, rapidly, unfortunately, but also inevitably the post-survival era, the post-witness uh, era, post-direct witness era. We will have, uh, in that case, uh, you know, our, our task in Holocaust remembrance will be, on one hand, much more challenging, much more difficult, and on the other hand, much more important, much more vital. I assume, I fear, uh, when that occurs, when that we, uh, we, we get to that stage, uh, it will be the happy hour, quote-unquote, of the deniers and the distortionists. And we will need a myriad of tools to, to confront that. The trips to, to the death camps in Poland are one of those means, but definitely not the only one. We will have to be much more creative, uh, much more um, uh, ingenious in, in, in doing that. But that said, you know, I never forget that uh, six million Jews never had the privilege to sit down in front of a camera and give their testimony because they did not survive. And therefore, we continue and even strengthen uh, our gathering uh, of uh, documentation from archival sources. We have today in Yad Vashem, the, by far the largest archive in the world in uh, Holocaust-related documentation, more than 220 million pages of documents, uh, tens of thousands of artifacts and, and photographs, and etc. But we continue uh, because... Uh, as I said, uh, those are the testimonies of those that did not survive. Uh, our last achievement, uh, partially in, uh, following uh, my meeting with uh, Pope Francis in the Vatican, uh, was that um, uh, the, the church, the Catholic Church, opened for the first time in history their archives in the relevant period for our researchers. The Catholic Church has opened its archives other countries are more closing their archives in a way, at least uh, symbolically. Poland, for instance. Let's go back to Poland. Before I, I tackle the Polish issue, uh, actually the archives that are unfortunately closed to us uh, are the Russian archives. Mm -hmm. By the way, quite uh, amazingly, the, the Ukrainian archives, we, sti we, we still continue to to receive documents from, uh, uh, copies of documents from the Ukrainian archives, even under the, uh, the current situation. Unfortunately, that is not the case uh, regarding the Russian Federation archives, and that's uh, a pity. 
regarding Poland, well, uh, yes, we know the fact that uh, the, the legislation and, and, and the, the, the limitations that exist in, in Poland uh, regarding uh, Holocaust research, and uh, we, st- we don't accept them, obviously. You said that the archive from Russia is closed. That surprises me. I actually didn't know that because Russians are so proud of their role in liberating the Holocaust uh, survivors. Why do you think it's closed still? Well, I think that's a question you should address to President Putin. Next time I see him, I will, for sure. But I wonder... Please please (laughs) let me know his answer. Okay, I will. So you don't know. I would say an additional word regarding Russia. We see problematic, uh, we see also problematic tendencies in the Russian education system regarding the Holocaust. Uh, We see in some senses um, a withdrawal to the Soviet era kind of education regarding the great patriotic war, including the Holocaust, uh, that disturbs us, uh, but we, we are monitoring it quite closely. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about Russia and Ukraine and the use of Nazi imagery. That, during the beginning part of the war, the end of February, March, it was so rampant all over social media, all sorts of images, memes, uh, going through, really painting the other as the Nazi. Why do you think this is still such a a touchstone for both of these people? Why this use? Well, you know, because uh, the Shoah, the Holocaust, is still relevant. And I think it's even more relevant now than ever. Uh, I must say that what they call sometimes Holocaust awareness or interest in the Shoah and the Holocaust is growing and not diminishing as time passes. And one of the negative uh, uh, examples is the use of, uh, as you said, of uh, uh, Shoah imagery and 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 and, and uh, terminology in the propaganda war uh, between Russia and Ukraine, uh, mainly in the Russian side. But uh, Ukrainians are not exempt of that uh, blame. I had two. Uh, altercations with the the Russians following two problematic statements of uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov. In one case, I believe uh, the Kremlin uh, spokesperson uh, attacked me, but also invited me to visit uh, Donbass to see by myself the alleged atrocities uh, committed by the Ukrainians. In other case, I had a a quite heated uh, exchange of messages with a very senior Russian diplomat, but one of the things that was said, if I'm not mistaken, is um, that Hitler had Jewish roots. Exactly. That's one of one of the cases. And another case, Mr. Lavrov said that the West wants to implement a final solution to the Russian people like the Nazis did to the Jewish people. Um, but also uh, President Zelensky, a Jew himself, uh, in the Knesset, in his Zoom um, um, address to the Knesset members, said, for instance, that uh, Israel should assist the Ukrainian people, like the Ukrainian people assisted the Jews during the war, during the Shoah, which obviously... Um, Wipes out all uh, sorts uh, of other history. It's, of, uh, it's, uh, it's rewriting history. Yes. Uh, because he doesn't really want us to behave like the Ukrainians right. behave toward the Jews. I must tell you, I visited Kiev um, in uh, September 2021, before the war, for the 80th anniversary of the uh, Babi Yar massacre. And I opened there uh, uh, an academic seminar 
And in the presence of very senior Ukrainian officials and, uh, and academics, I said, one, we welcome um, Ukraine into the family of democratic nations. Two, I express my gratitude that Ukraine, contrary to the Soviet Union, acknowledges the Jewishness of the victims. But I also said, three, that there is an extra mile they must go, and that is to recognize, uh, to, to look into their past and recognize widespread collaboration, Ukrainian collaboration with the Nazis. They've been a bit busy since then, perhaps, and maybe that hasn't quite happened. Well, you know, now they have their own, uh, they are busy with other problems, uh, but uh, we still see in, in Ukraine, like in other places, uh, uh, glorification of uh, collaborators with the Nazis uh, that are considered. In general, you know, visiting Kiev to, for a Jew with a very deep Jewish historical consciousness is a very... Um, mixed feelings experience on one hand on one side you see that they acknowledge the Jewishness of the victims in Babiyar there is a synagogue in Babiyar and many other uh, manifestations of that on the other hand I remember myself going down the steps from my hotel in 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 Kiev to a very beautiful square with a huge uh, statue of Bogdan Khmelnytsky, uh, that, uh, you know, the Cossack leader that until Hitler probably was considered the most evil anti-Semite assassin of Jews in, in Jewish exile history. So it's a, it's a very troubling experience sometimes to, to be in Kiev. I would say that I see today in the world three in Europe, three ways of confronting uh, uh, their past, their respective past of the nations. Uh, I visited for the first time in my life two countries, uh, Germany and Austria. As a very young, at a very young age, I decided that it will not visit them. But now as chairman of Yad Vashem, I decided to do it because for the same reason I refrained memory, I thought that I strengthened memory by doing that. And for instance, I, I, let's take the Austrian case. Austria was a country that for decades after the war had the chutzpah uh, to define itself as the first victim of Hitler. Because With of its the Jewish Anschluss. leader as well, correct. And, uh, and then and now they recognize wholeheartedly that they, are, they were perpetrators. Uh, they, they, they completely reject the notion of being the, the first victims and they admit they were perpetrators. I was in, a kind, in Lithuania, for instance. I met the leadership of Lithuania also, the prime minister and others that I did in Austria. And uh, I found, for instance, there a, a, a young and committed leadership that really wants to, 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 to make things right, but I'm not sure they have the political courage uh, to do that. And in other cases, uh, the most extreme probably is Belarus, where they completely deny. Uh, uh, in, in Belarus, they even talk about the genocide of the Belarusian people instead of the uh, genocide of the Jews. And let's turn to Hungary as well. Uh, the Jobbik party that was such a rising force is now changing its tune and becoming at least less overtly anti-Semitic, but at the same time, we're hearing statements from Orban, which you addressed last summer. Well, yes, uh, uh, I must say the, the, the Orban statement was uh, not that you referred to, that I, I addressed, uh, uh, was not exactly anti-Semite. It was more about the racial uh, tone, not necessarily against Jews. 
by the way, here you have a scoop. Uh, um, 48 hours after I criticized uh, Mr. Orban uh, for his statement, I had a personal letter from President Orban in my desk explaining. That shows the importance of Yad Vashem because there were many critics. I don't think he sent personal letters to each one of them. Uh, uh, but Yad Vashem is seen, and rightly so, as I think a moral beacon in this world. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. You have to choose very carefully when you speak out and when you don't. How do you know when? Well, you know, I am in in this uh, business of uh, of uh, media uh, for many years in my different roles. Uh, uh, I think that uh, you 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 acquire that instinct to know when it will you will overshooting and 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 uh, Yad Vashem as as I said as a beacon as a as a symbol in this world uh, shouldn't uh, react to every single thing that is said or done anywhere in the globe but uh, you have to understand the context and and to choose carefully when to when to enter the arena and when not to did Yad Vashem make a statement on the basketball game that uh, happened last no. no because why well, you know, uh, as you said, you have uh, uh, look. It was uh, uh, it was a terrible event. I saw the the film, the clips. Uh, uh, it was terrible. It was anti-Israeli. Um, I don't think it was Shoah related. Uh, so no, I don't think that. But of course, uh, as a, as a human being, as an Israeli, as a Jew, as a, I, I condemned it wholeheartedly. If you ask, but uh, we didn't do that on our own initiative. We are ahead of Yom HaShoah, as you said, and uh, do you have any message for the many, many generations that hopefully will come out from these survivors? What is their role now? Well, you know, uh, uh, we are, uh, as, I, as we already uh, spoke about, in the po- approaching the post-survival era, and the burden on the third, second and third generation will be huge. And I want to say a word of praise for the ge- third generation, the grandchildren of the survivors. In many cases, in many cases, obviously not in all cases, but uh, it's quite a pattern that in many families, uh, the first generation, namely the, the survivors themselves, uh, didn't talk, didn't speak about their experiences. And the second generation, their children didn't ask. And then came the third generation, and they did ask, and the grandparents responded. So in many cases, we owe the testimonies of the survivors to their grandchildren. That is a very, very it is a very uh, um, peculiar uh, experience, a very peculiar phenomena. Uh, we are very grateful to that third generation for, for doing that. 
And now this fourth generation who hopefully... Well, fourth generation will still have to, to see and, and to wait and see what their role will be. But you know, if we are talking about uh, humanity in general, mankind in general, as we, say, as we spoke already, anti-Semitism is rising. Um, you know, when I came to New York to serve as Consul General of Israel in 2016, I thought that anti-Semitism will be in a low place in my agenda. But during my term, there are 15 Jews were murdered in anti-Semitic attacks in Pittsburgh, Poway, Jersey City, Monsey, 15. So it's clear that anti-Semitism, unfortunately, is rising its head again. Now, you know, what I tell all the leaders that visit Yad Vashem, or the leaders I, met in the, I meet in their capitals, is that we are not in Germany of the 1930s. Thank God we are far from it. But there is one difference between our contemporary generation, Jewish and non-Jewish, and the, the generation of the 1930s. And that difference is that we have the experience they didn't have. We know it can happen. Probably they thought, you know, they burn books, that's bad. They burn synagogues, that's even worse. But they will never kill six million people. We know that anti-Semitism, if it's not confronted vigorously, forcefully, uh, immediately, uh, undefeated, can develop into monstrous dimensions. So we don't have the luxury, the privilege to say, let's wait and see how this thing develops. Leaders today have to confront anti-Semitism immediately uh, and defeat it immediately before it, it's too late. At the same time, there's huge fatigue for the Holocaust, for instance, in Europe, definitely here in Israel, the kids of my children's generation are more uh, tending to make jokes about the Holocaust than to treat it with any kind of serious respect. How do you combat that? I don't agree that there is Holocaust fatigue. I think that the uh, Holocaust awareness is rising actually in the world. I will give you two or three examples. Uh, Holocaust International, International Holocaust Remembrance Day, January 27, didn't exist in the 80s or the 90s of the previous century. It was established this century. IRA, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, didn't exist in the 20th century. It was established in the 21st century. A, a, a conference like the conference that the Prime Minister of Sweden, from all places, convened in Malmo in 2021 to, to talk with world leaders about Holocaust remembrance, those were things that didn't happen in 20 or 30 years ago. I understand there's going to be a follow-up conference uh, uh, lately, later this year in Toledo, Spain. Uh, so uh, those things that didn't happen. Look, I, I see I meet uh, leaders in the, uh, all over the world in the last months. I had the privilege to, to meet uh, in, in, in their capitals, uh, the Pope and, and, um, and Chancellor Scholz from Germany and Chancellor Neymar from Austria and President Macron from France in the Elysee and many others. And uh, I see that this issue is, 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 is in their agenda. Holocaust remembrance is today uh, in, in, the, in the international agenda, and we, we help to, 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 to put it there and to keep it there. So you think that there should be some kind of trickle-down effect into the regular people? That's the, that's the, the challenge. Uh, uh, leaderships are committed today. Um, does it trickle down? to a certain amount uh, and, you know, a challenge that sometimes people don't talk enough about it because they fear to, 
to cross the line and become politically incorrect is how to deal uh, uh, with Shoah remembrance and, and, and responsibility in, in societies, in European societies that are becoming increasingly multi-ethnic and multicultural. I told uh, both Chancellor Scholz and Chancellor Nehmeyer from Austria, uh, Scholz from Germany and Nehmeyer from Austria, that with German or Austrian citizenship, there are certain responsibilities that are linked to it, even if you're the grandfather of the citizen uh, was not in Germany or in Austria, but in, in a different continent during the war. Say Syria, with all the refugees from the Syrian war. Yeah, uh, uh, so, uh, by the way, they completely agree. And uh, I, I agreed with the uh, Chancellor Scholz of Germany that uh, the first satellite installation, the first educational center of Yad Vashem outside of Israel will be in Germany. Uh, we will take on our shoulders the responsibility to, to help Germany to educate its people regarding the, the responsibilities that the Shoah uh, put on their shoulders. When is that meant to oh, take We off? are in the early stages. It's, an, it's a multi-year project. I, don't, I, 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 I hope it won't take too long, but it, for sure it will take a few years until and it's meant to be a building or an but educational the, project but the, the, the building a, a, a physical educational center but i must tell you all the Germ i met the, the entire german leadership uh, uh, chancellor president uh, uh, bundestag president minister of finance uh, uh, and others and from the leader of the opposition uh, and all of them were thrilled about the idea and they committed to help it happen I'm just confused because they have so many uh, educational resources already in Holocaust memorials. Why would they need Israel to help them? Look, uh, in this case, uh, we unfortunately, we have a unique perspective. Uh, we are the victims. Uh, the, the perspective that we have is completely different. Uh, when the, the institution that represents the victims uh, comes to the country of the perpetrators that's quite uh, quite uh, first of all it's quite a statement and uh, it's quite a difference from all other remembrance institutions and we are talking specifically about education an educational center not a museum or not a memorial but an educational center i think it's very significant Earlier in our conversation, you talked about your trip to Kiev and how you welcomed the country to the group of democracies in the world. Now, as you rightly said, uh, Israel is torn asunder by this fight for democracy. Do you see that your work will be affected by this uh, perhaps infringement upon democracy that may soon happen? I hope not. First of all, Yad Vashem, as you said, uh, you know, there, I put the moment I, I came to Yad Vashem, a firewall between us and, and anything that is politic, political. Um, not on anything that is moral, but anything that is political. I, 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 again, uh, we have, it's, we, we need the very sharp instincts to, to detect where is the, the, the line that crosses, that defines what is politics and what is morality. But, uh, you know, I hope that Yad Vashem's values will remain unchanged. Uh, whatever happens uh, outside its walls. Danny, thank you so much for giving me so much time today. Thank you. Pleasure.
One year ahead of Yom HaShoah, my Israeli husband used the Shem Vener website to print out labels for memorial candles that burn for the full 24 hours of Holocaust Remembrance Day. Eight candles are wrapped with a label that includes the names and dates for eight of his grandparents' siblings who were murdered in the Holocaust. About a hundred of his family members were killed during the Shoah. Our children light them, each one taking stewardship for a lost relative. This year, Yad Vashem has opened up its database to Shem Vener, and this streamlines the ability to memorialize murdered family members at home. Check both of their websites for more details. This podcast was produced and edited by The Pod Waves. Have a comment about this or other episodes of What Matters Now? Email us at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Look for more What Matters Now episodes and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Until next week, Shalom. Shalom.